I thought you were frozen for a second. No, I'm just, no, I'm just, <laughs> I was just, just looking being at super still. All right, college baseball fans, welcome to a very, very special episode here. It's a little weekend 14 preview plus the one and only Lance Berkman interview at the end of this episode. And before we talk about any of that, I want to start by saying, Dimitri, we got to 11.7 thousand followers on Twitter. And for That's those who maybe can't put two and two together, 11.7 podcasts, 11.7 thousand followers. That's a lot. We've grown by, I don't know, close to four or 5,000 followers this year. I think we were around like the 6,000 mark before, like starting the season. So, and the cool thing is like college baseball is just heating up. Like the best part of the season is coming up where we're going to get wall-to-wall action from start to finish with a lot of regionals and super regionals. And then, hey, conference tournaments are coming up next week. And we'll definitely preview that here on the episode. Now I'm looking at my notes and there's just one thing here that stands out more than anything. Makes me happy. I know it makes you happy, Dimitri, but Kendall Rogers came out with a tweet yesterday that shocked a big tweet. Yeah. It was a woge bomb, but it was a, a kin bomb or kin bomb, as you said. And it, it kind of shocked the college baseball world in a positive way. Like for once. The NCAA is doing something right, and we will have 100% capacity at regionals, super regionals, conference tournaments, potentially Omaha, depending on the local and state guidelines. And we've already seen plenty as of Thursday morning. Like Teams say, yeah, we're going to have 100% capacity. Even like the Florida Gators, who were sitting at 42% capacity, they came out and said, hey, we're going to have 100%. And it's about time, right? It's an outdoor About event. damn time. It's an outdoor event. People are not forced to be there. If you don't want to be there and risk anything, don't show up. Everything is going to be broadcasted on ESPN or ESPN Plus, uh, SEC Network, ACC Network, Longhorn Network, whatever it is. It's going to be on TV. Like the postseason, every game is either streamable or on TV. So if you don't want to be there, don't show up. You can show up with masks. You can show up with gloves. You can do a lot of things to social distance yourself. But for those who are passionate about the sport, wanting to watch their friends or family play the game and be there in like a great atmosphere, finally. It only took until May 20th or May 19th to make that decision, but they did the right thing. We are here. And you know what, dude? The best part about it is the best time of the year, and we just got a big surprise, and I think it's just going to be mean that much more. Yeah. It's just going to be that much more amazing. No, I mean, you're right. And so Omaha, the big one, College World Series has not come out and said 100% capacity yet, but could you just... It will. It will. I mean, could you imagine a world where, like, regionals and super regionals are 100% and then Omaha says, no, actually, the biggest event in our whole city for the whole year, we're, we're not going to have 100% capacity. We're going to stick will. with 50%. It will. 100% it will. Um, and so we got a lot to talk about on this episode. We're going to talk hey, about did, some... Did you see... Hold on. Did you see that video... South Carolina posted of there was a lady, I guess one of their stadium workers or whatever, was snipping off all the tie wraps off, off all the seats. I saw that tweet and the caption was beautiful too. I don't remember who tweeted it, but I shot him a follow and it said like, this looks like a little bit, but the meaning is so much more or something like, yeah. um, it was almost like a small poem. It, it this like, looks like nothing, but it means so much yes. more. Yes. And dude, it was and just so cool. Was, and she I had mean, a whole handful of those zip ties. And it was and just watching it, watching it. If you didn't understand what it was about, you're probably like, okay, why are we watching a video? But if you like understood what was going on, it was like like just a feeling like wow. 
Like, oh my goodness. Those seats People have not be been sitting sat right in now. for over like 16 months. 15 months. And guess what? what? No more cardboard cutout. No more fake people. Yeah. And it's just going to be cool, man. Because you see like players' reactions. Speaking of South Carolina, um, you know, their players and coaches went on camera and said like, we are so excited. freaking smile. Yeah, we are so excited to play in front of a ton of fans. And South Carolina's kind of played themselves in a position to host a regional. And they have a big weekend coming up. And it, nothing would make me happier than seeing 16 regional sites all with sold-out crowds. Now, I know... There's teams like Stanford who I saw on Twitter where it was their their max capacity is 147 people or 177 people, which is stupid. Um, and Stanford looks like a potential host. Uh, there was another school that was like 480. But doesn't that just doesn't that just fit? Doesn't that just fit like the picture? Like oh, West Coast is like they they don't have big crowds. It doesn't it's not the same. And then you hear their capacity, you're just like, oh, of course, that's not a shocker. Yeah, and it's not like you know Stanford, what I mean. It's not like Stanford has a huge college baseball fan base, anyways. Now, the ones that are fans of Stanford, they're diehards. Like they they love it through and through. And Stanford's had a lot of success in the early 2000s and 90s. But whatever. I mean, if there's 14 of the 16 regionals that are going to be sold out 100% capacity, that's all I'm here for. And just like the environment that's and fine. atmosphere that like the players get to experience from other other schools like for example uh i saw an interview with pitt uh pitt's head coach mike bell i believe his name is and he was like look like we kind of played ourselves out of position to host a regional right now but i'm actually excited for my kids to go away like go out and experience a real regional atmosphere somewhere like an sec school and or whatever yeah even if they're a two seed like getting that experience to to play at a full capacity crowd is going to be something that those kids will remember forever and i don't know man like we're almost there two weeks away we're going to be crowning a college world series champion in 42 days 42 days roughly so anyways yep we uh i want to talk a little bit about the midweek i know we kind of scratched it from our show but that georgia tech uh georgia game was it 14 innings five and a half hours long and dude, longest some, game of school history. I was watching that game, and I have to throw a red flag real fast. I want to throw a challenge flag because the last play of the game, the walk-off sack fly, the runner yep. on first base to set the scene for anybody who didn't see it. Base is loaded, one out, fly ball to left. The runner on second goes back to tag, which is correct. The runner on first does not go back to tag, and he gets close to the base, and then the camera like cuts it off. I don't think he ever went back to first base to tag because instantly when the run scored, the guy from first base ran like through the he first started base celebrating. and started celebrating. I don't think he ever went back. And I thought Georgia caught it, but they were too busy watching the guy on third try to like maybe leave early. The guy on first base never went back to tag. I am like all like 95% sure. And unless he sprinted back real fast out of the camera view, that would have been interesting because that's something that not a lot of baseball players think about. They see the ball go in the air and they just stand there halfway and watch. And if he didn't go back and tag, they could have challenged it and got that double play. But anyways, fun game to watch. Georgia and Georgia Tech, both on the, maybe not on the bubble, but they've both shown signs of weakness. Georgia's on the bubble. Georgia Tech is in. Georgia Tech is in. I would agree with that. But Georgia has a better record than Georgia Tech. And they play a harder schedule. 
And it, it's but funny they're because five, they're like five. I think they're like five games under 500 in the SEC, which is a no go for me. Right. And not conference wise, Georgia had a better schedule and uh, more wins. But I would hope to see both of those teams in a regional. I don't think either one will compete for a national title, but definitely top 64 teams, both of them, in my, in my opinion. And then Louisville finally got a good win after struggling the last 10 games. The two big upsets. My Tennessee Martin Skyhawks upset Ole Miss. And, of course, like, dude, I saw that coming from a mile away. Maybe not the upset, but just Ole Miss struggling on Tuesday. They had a big emotional series win against Vanderbilt last weekend, and then they have yeah. to host the Skyhawks, where 99% of people in America have no idea where Martin, Tennessee is. I spent a whole year, my freshman year there, and it's about the size. It's probably like 4,000 people in that whole town. It's a joke. But – they, the Skyhawks came out ready to play and from start to finish kind of controlled that game. Excuse my voice crack. I know tomorrow's my birthday. I guess I'm still going through puberty. <laughs> 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 and besides that Kale Baker bomb, I mean, Ole Miss had nothing the whole game. And then LSU, on the other hand, that was a must-win game against Northwestern State. They, they lost it. They looked like crap. I mean, dude, like, if you're LSU, after you t- you win the series, you're like, okay, we're like we got work to do. We're not in yet. Let's, let's every game matters from here on out. And to lay a goose egg like that, to just take a big dump on first base and just basically say, um, whatever, like we're gonna lose, like whatever, like at least they show just, up. I mean, like they didn't seven show up to three. To play. That's what I'm saying. Like, come on, like you got you got so much to play for. At least like at least. I don't I mean, trust me, I get it when a team, you know, just because they lost 7-3 doesn't mean they weren't trying or, like, they didn't want to win. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have a chance to do something. You have a chance to get in the postseason because when you get there, you have no idea what can happen. And for yourself to just shit the bed, again, Northwest, Northwestern State, it's like, really? Like, what are you doing? And And – this is a week after they brought it to Louisiana Tech and beat them 16 to 7. And then they show up against a team that's much worse than them. Much, much worse. And acted like they just didn't want to be there. That was my biggest problem with LSU. They just acted like they didn't want to be there until the seventh or eighth inning. And then they started, I don't know, little putting a little bit of energy, but Shame on them. Now they pretty much have to win the series this weekend, plus win a game or two in the SEC tournament to even be in consideration. I think they're going to get in just because of the way the committee has shown us how they make selections in the past. I mean, we saw TCU in 2019 make the tournament with about the same resume as this LSU Tigers team this year. And the reasoning they got in was because of recent success in the postseason or something ridiculous. You remember that? That was so trash. When we were was- we were on that conference call after the committee made the selections with like Ray Tanner and some other big names in the selection committee, and somebody asked about TCU, like why did TCU get in over? I don't remember who the team was that everybody wanted in. Texas State, I think it was Texas State. The Bobcats. And, and they were like, "Well, TCU has had injuries this year. They've played much better. Bad. They've played much better over the last twenty-five games." And their recent postseason success is why we put them in. I was like, dude, we're not talking about 2015, 2016. It's 2019. 
So I, I imagine something similar is going to happen with this LSU club this hey, year. Hey, by the way, we, you got to—I I think you, you got to do your, like you put your registration in for that call again. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, because well, I want to listen to it again. You're coming in. You're coming with me. Oh, big news! I'll be here. there. Big news for me and you. Um, Eleven point seven got selected to the. Sorry, I have a ant bite on my elbow, and it hurts. Anyways. What was I saying? Oh, uh, 11.7 got an invite to be a media member for the SOCON Southern Conference, like all SOCON team. I don't even know how to describe it. What, what is it called? Like you, we get to the vote. All SOCON, all SOCON team. Yeah, we got a, we, we're getting a vote to pick the all, all SOCON team. And that was cool to see. Got that in the email yesterday. Going to try to put our Mercer bias aside, even though I think there's probably five or six deserving players from that <laughs> offense. And I think Garrett Delano is going to win the MVP, the two-way player who's going to I think win. it's a no doubt. I mean, I think yeah. it's a no doubt. I mean, he's the Friday night pitcher who's had unreal numbers this year, plus he hits cleanup and the best home run hitting offense in the country right now with 87. So I think Garrett Delano is going to win the MVP. But I'll look through the stats. You'll look through them with me here. Uh, we have until Monday to vote, but it was cool to see. We're getting a little media recognition. Um, other than that, Let's talk about the big stuff. This is our Lance Berkman episode. We, Chris Burke, hooked us up. And for the listeners that have probably heard me talk about Lance Berkman a hundred times, he was my guy growing up, you know, growing up in Houston. Left-handed hitter, I guess he's switch hitter, um, power. Him and I kind of had like the same build, but just someone I always looked up to. And Chris Burke, another one of my idols, uh, hooked it up for a little birthday present for me. So this is going to be an incredible interview. We're putting it at the end of the episode. You guys definitely. It was awesome, dude. It was awesome. I mean, talk about such a down-to-earth guy that really bought into, like, our vision. And, like, we told him about, like, who we were. And he's like, yeah, this is exactly what college baseball needs. And he told some really funny stories about his playing days at Rice and also, like, coming up through high school and things like that. And he's just and, a super and his future. What he wants, like and he wants like going forward and all that. I mean, there was so much stuff. It's, it's hard to unpack it. I couldn't have. I could not have. Like, I could not have expected a better interview. Like this yeah. one as clean as possible. We did it eight in the morning, uh, Central Time for him. He was he was up and chipper. And he told us the big thing to take away from the interview is that he wants to become a Division One head coach, and he's been on record since 2012 when he was still playing in MLB. I want to coach division one baseball. I want to have an impact on kids' lives. I don't want to work in a front office. Like a lot of people are, are projecting me to. Um, so he went back to school, got his degree so he can start coaching, won a state championship in the state of Texas at high school level. And now he was, he's currently a coach an assistant coach at division three school in Houston, St. Thomas university. But I don't, but, it, but the way he said it, it sounded like he was done coaching there and like i don't or like they haven't yeah. renewed his contract or something so he kept saying like they he was next he kept saying they and not we so I'm, I'm curious to see if like what he has in store for the future because he's somebody that would be a great leader for and mold young minds develop young baseball players if you're a division one baseball athletic director listening to this which i know is probably a, sl- a slight chance do whatever you can to get lance burke and be your, your, to be your head coach because i'm bought in with him I, he's I, got I, a plan He's I got think a plan. He, he, he has everything. He was telling us about how um, he was met with, you know, Coach Corbin and uh, Schlossnagel and a bunch of just big name coaches around college McDonald, baseball, yeah. McDonald, and, and just learning from them. And he came up with like a 40 page plan moving forward. So you guys definitely enjoy that interview. It's, it's a great one. Probably my favorite interview by far. But 
let's talk a little bit about college baseball and where we're at today, May 20th, 2021. Regional locks, Dimitri. We have our 20 host sites, potential host sites. Out of those 20, you put a good tweet out there the other day about yeah. teams that are locks and teams that are trending downwards. And I think we're <laughs> going to get a, a regional host who's going to be a two seed. I think there's too many teams trending down right now and some teams that were left out of the picture trending up. And if it continues like that through the last three regular season games and conference tournaments, I, I think we're going to end up getting one. Maybe I think two. we're going to have one, maybe two. Maybe two. Let's, let's talk about it. So we have the locks. Obviously, Arkansas. Arizona, Arkansas. East Carolina, Florida, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, TCU. I don't actually – Ole Miss is, I think, in, but after that midweek loss, that's, a, that's not a good look. But TCU, Tennessee, Texas, Texas Tech, Vanderbilt. I would agree all are locks. Like, no matter what they do, they're not going to play themselves out of this picture just because of the work they, they give put the, in. They give us four. They give us four, right? Four. And so it comes down to Charlotte, Gonzaga, Louisiana Tech, Pitt, South Carolina, Southern Miss, and Stanford. So seven teams fighting for three spots, right? Because four have to be left out. Yeah, well, seven teams I mean, fighting for four sp- uh, for three spots. Well, you got Arizona, Arkansas, East Carolina, Florida, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, Oregon, TCU, Tennessee, Texas, Texas, Tech, Vanderbilt. They give you three spots. Yep. And so, you've got Charlotte, Gonzaga, Louisiana Tech, Pitt, South Carolina, Southern Miss, and Stanford. They give seven teams fighting for the final three hosting spots. And Pitt is like they're Pitt's out. out. They're basically Shoot. out. So it's really six Pitt teams fighting for out. three spots. Um, Gonzaga needed to win that Oregon game on Tuesday night. They had yeah. an early lead. Oregon ended up blowing them out. Um, Oregon's just a damn good team this year. They're uh-huh. good, man. Um, and then South Carolina. So basically, what it comes down to, I think, sh- I I think Charlotte gets a bid. And I think Louisiana Tech gets a bid. So that gives you one team. And I think the one final team is going to come down to South Carolina or Stanford. Yeah. And if you look at it from an NCAA perspective, I'm glad we got, because I agree with you 100%. If you put it into an NCAA perspective, do you want a full crowd, a real regional host with South Carolina, or do you want 147 people at Stanford? I mean, it's a no-brainer. I'm giving it to South Carolina. And, and South Carolina can definitely play their way into a lock this weekend. They have, they have Tennessee. They take care of business this weekend and win a couple games in the SEC tournament. It is a no-brainer, 100% lock. Hey, what if what – if, I, think, I think you could see a situation I'm, – I'm just being hypothetical here, just reaching. What if Stanford was the one seat at South Carolina? That's a lot of traveling. That's literally across I mean, the country. I mean, yeah, but yeah, but everybody, people do it all the time. People go to California. Think yeah. about all the. I mean, I think you could potentially see Stanford, like, like, because I'm not giving Stanford a host. If they're going to have 147 people, I don't know what their rules are right now. But like, I'm sorry, but, I don't even think Stanford would want that. Like the Stanford baseball team wouldn't even want that. I don't even want to be on TV with my stand yeah. being empty. 
So I'd rather just go to South Carolina and be a one seed, but selfishly, you'd rather just be at home and try to win the regional than play in front of a hostile crowd on the road. So there's like a balance there. Which one do you want? Do you want an easier road to Omaha or do you want the best experience for your players? So it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, toss up difficult. Now, I think South Carolina, Stanford, I mean, Stanford, when I tweeted that they were down a couple runs pretty halfway through the game to lose three out of four to Cal. They ended up coming back. They ended up winning the game. It was pretty exciting actually. And they ended up splitting that series two, two with Cal. And they were right back in it because I mean, you lose three, one series to Cal that hurts, but if you split, mm-hmm. it's like almost like a push like yeah. in terms it, of your resume. So it literally is a push. And but, dude, remember this, and not a lot of people are talking about this. These aren't only the 20 potential host sites, but these you have to have out of the, like, let's see, let's say the 16 teams chosen, one of the, or all 16 have to host the super regional as well. So if you yep. get two two seeds winning, or two and a three, or th- two threes, or four and a two, they're staying at those sites. They're, they have to stay at those sites. And, it's going to make an interesting thing because I, I know that there's going to be a, a, a super regional without a one seed. I mean, there always is. A hundred percent. I always would say, is. dude, I would say there's five regional that are that a two seed or lower wins it. For sure. Just because of how competitive. And like another thing, and no, no SEC bias aside, because I'm not an SEC guy, but for the SEC teams, there are going to be two and three seeds playing at you know, let's say, for example, like Notre Dame or Charlotte or Louisiana Tech, whoever it is, that's, I mean, you almost have to say the SEC team, even though, for example, let's put, I don't know, get, I can't think of the SEC, Liberty. right? Oh, like, oh, 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 no, oh. I'm saying like if an SEC team is like a three seed, for example. Oh, you're saying, you're saying like if uh, Georgia goes to Charlotte, like Georgia might be the favorite. I mean, Alabama, Alabama go to Charlotte. They could be the favorite too. That's what I'm saying. So, so and then if you, I mean, the, but same at the same for, time, at the same time, this year is so is such a question mark and an unknown because there's so many teams that didn't play out of conference. So who knows how good they are? Right. I, I, I mean, who knows? And that's ten team could it, roll in there and just be the by far the best team. Well, we saw in the NCAA basketball tournament this year, nobody respected the Pac-12 because of their weak non-conference schedules. And then we had like four Pac-12 teams in the Sweet 16. Like they didn't, they, the Pac-12 started like 8-0 and in the NCAA basketball tournament. Yep. And like that could easily happen with Pac-12 baseball. We don't know how good they are. I think the one conference for me though, like it's kind of the biggest wild card is the ACC. Just because they've been beating up on each other all year. A hundred percent. And, and like everybody's all jumbled up there besides Notre Dame. And then like right. you have you have the scheduling stuff too. Like each conference is playing a different schedule structure. Conference USA is playing four game weekends plus midweeks. And then you have teams like Notre Dame who's played like hey. three midweeks all year. Dude, think about it this. Think about this. Think of those conf- think of all the schools or conferences that are playing four game schedule. They had a fourth starter all year long. Mm-hmm. Groomed up, experienced, ready to rock and roll. He's been throwing six innings. Think of an regional. Maybe one of those teams that come to their benefit, they get to a game four, you know, because let's say they come, they win Friday night, they lose the, to the one seed on Saturday, they drop into lose bracket, they win their game three. All right. 
or then they have their game four starter and they're facing another team who got their game uh game three starter their game four starter might give them an edge you know give, right or or even or if, or even if they win they go through the winner's bracket and they're playing whoever a bigger team in the regional final but the other team has to go win twice right Let's just say they lose the game three. So now they got a winner take all game four for that team that stayed in the winner's bracket. They've got a game four starter who's been who's used to it, who's been thrown all year for four games. So that might come into play. That might be something to keep an eye on is, hey, Louisiana Tech is a game four of a regional. They've got a four starter who's been thrown all year. It's not a guy. Just, they're it's just not some in there guy trying to piece two or three innings together. Wow, I haven't even so, thought about that. The game four starter they're going to need. But let's just play this game real fast. Like, out of the four teams in the Conference USA, you got Charlotte, Louisiana Tech, Southern Miss, and Old Dominion. Those four are in the tournament. Maybe FAU, maybe, maybe, or maybe you get a Cinderella story in the conference tournament. Out of those four teams, which one has, like, the best chance to make a deep run? To do what? To make a deep run in the tournament. Honestly, honestly, I think Southern Miss – just Might because of their be pitching, the their pitching is deep, man. It is elite. But yeah, I, I I think Southern Miss is my team to make the deepest run, and it's not because I'm not just sitting here saying they're the best team or whatever. I just think they have postseason success. I think they have experience. I think they have what it takes on the mound to get them through that grueling ass fucking schedule where they got to play, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and another one Monday or doubleheader Sunday, whatever the case may be. Louisiana Tech is right there with them, but I think Southern Miss had the edge pitching-wise. Yeah, Louisiana Tech has the the big boppers, man. They're, I saw a stat where they had like I mean, seven. Charlotte's got the big boppers. Yeah, but Louisiana Tech has like nine guys with OPSs over 950. Like one, one through nine can all swing it. Southern Miss has the pitching. Charlotte – I don't know, man. They have a couple guys. I mean, that, I mean, are you not throw. on the same boat there with Southern Miss? I, I would say so. I would say Southern Miss. And let's let's get but, this straight. I don't it really just answer depends. That question. It really just depends on the draw, really, with, with the I, regionals. Yeah, I felt that say. Well, who? Let me let me get back to you on this with a sharpie when I see their regional. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's going to be so fun. The regional project projection. Right, here, so here's then, a question. So, oh, go ahead. Ask your question, and then I'll tell you what I'm going to say. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, what's the no, difference? You, don't know. you have no idea. You have no idea what I'm going to say. Uh, don't even. No, then no please idea. say it because I'm, I'm trying to switch subjects here. So you go first. I was going to say, let's start looking at which teams are going to win their regular season title because I have a bigger question for you. Okay. What is a bigger deal to you? Winning the regular season title or winning the tournament title? And yeah, one has more. One means more at the end of the day, but one also means more in the grand scheme of things of the turn of the season. You had a great regular season because that's that's the hard. I think regular season titles harder to win the turn than the tournament. Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, I'm glad you asked that because it brought up some terrible memories for Mercer. Because both seasons I was at Mercer, we won the regular season title, and it was tough. It was a grind. Every weekend meant something, and yeah, sure, like winning the regular season. Is cool and all, but it doesn't. It didn't matter to us unless we won the tournament, like because I never played in a regional, and I would have traded both of my regular season championships for one regional appearance. So 
and it really just depends on the conferences. Let's let's not forget that. And if you're SEC, in the SEC, yeah, the yeah. SEC and ACC tournament doesn't mean anything unless you're like an 11, 12, 9, 10 seed, somewhere in there. Like I promise you, Arkansas will not win the SEC tournament, and I don't think they really care. Like, of course, it'll be cool. It'll be a nice little cherry on top for the for the season, but they're trying to get Kevin Cop some rest to to make a big postseason push. Uh, I mean, you can go all like, the way down to maybe like Kentucky who might like Kentucky would be the top team in the SEC that will actually care about the SEC tournament, Kentucky, Georgia, Georgia Kentucky, Alabama, uh, Missouri. Like those teams are going to care. Yeah. I don't think they're even a tournament. They're playing I think their, it comes they, down to this weekend. They're, 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 they're this weekend of the play in series for them. Yeah. And so if they win this weekend, I think they actually have to sweep then they might be in, but uh, LSU's going to um, care a, a hell of it. Um, yeah, so, so I think, I think like for Arkansas, winning the regular season title is a big freaking deal. Mm-hmm, winning yeah. the regular season title for Notre Dame, that's a big deal. But winning the regular season title in the SoCon, if you don't, if you lose the tournament, you literally give zero shit about your whole season is over. Title. And for- until the fall, when you get your ring, when you're all calm again, you forgot all about it. You're like, oh, this is sick. But in, in the moment, Losing the tournament literally erases the regular season title. You could care less. It doesn't matter anymore. You don't think about. You don't look back and think, "Oh man, if I, if we would have just won that Sunday game at Wofford, you know, we would have had." Like, no, you, you think about if we would have just won one more game in the tournament, we would have been in a regional. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it goes both ways. If you're a team that struggles all regular season, basically mid major, it's all about the tournament. Yeah, mid-major and then teams that finish in the bottom part of their conferences in the Power Five. For example, like Cincinnati in 2019 won the American tournament, came out of nowhere, won that whole tournament, and they were having a terrible regular season. But it didn't matter because they won the tournament. That's why, dude, I, yeah, so I like the tournament automatic gonna... qualifier, but I also think that you should reward the team that did it all year long. Like, for example, if so you think, OK, do you you I mean, dude, that is difficult because like, let's say you just gave an automatic bid to the regular season title winner and the tournament title. There's how many conferences? 31. Yeah. So if the team wins the regular season, they lose the tournament, that's two bids from almost could every never, conference. You could never do it. It would just never work. You can Unless never you justify that. Their postseason. Unless, Your postseason would now go from the best 64 to, the like, you just because, couldn't do it. Unless yeah, you expanded not gonna it work. to, like, 128 or something, which would just Yeah, be that's not going to work. Never, never, ever. Um, so if you want to you want to just run through the conferences, kind of basically saying who's their champion or if they're the big weekend ahead. Let's do it. So, so I've, got, I've got the American East pulled up already. Stony Brook's got that one locked up. Um, 22 and nine, they ran through that conference. Um, so I, I mean, they, yeah, they're a great example. They've got to win the tournament to make their season a memorable one. Yeah. And I got the ASA. We're just doing mid major conferences, right? Because we, all our listeners have a grasp on a, like the, the power six, as we should say, and maybe even power seven, seven, if you're including conference. I mean, USA. I mean the American athletic. I mean, the American Athletic East Carolina two-lane, two-lane to half game back. It comes down to this weekend. Yeah. Um, I I just don't see two-lane slipping up. I mean, uh, East Carolina slipping up. No. 
Um, but if you guys want to keep an eye on that one, um, yeah. if you guys want to keep an eye on that that conference finishes up, you're more than welcome to. Tulane is on the road at Cincinnati. I mean, they're actually, oh, wow, they're losing 10 to 4 in the eighth right now. So, you know. Oh, wow, they are. I didn't even catch that. East Carolina uh, might have that one locked up. Yep. Now, the A-Sun's pretty much locked up. Liberty uh, has only lost two games, and they beat the second-place Kennesaw team five out of six in the last two weekends. So Liberty's a lock for the tournament. I think even if they don't win the conference tournament, they're going to be an at-large. Uh, the Atlantic 10, this one is interesting because VCU's had a really good season, and they're really the only team that's had – like, they're 32-14 and 14, 14 on the regular season, 13-3 and three in conference – that 37 RPI is enough to get them a regional uh, at large if they don't win the tournament. But you got like LaSalle, who we talked about a lot on Sunday. They have a little bit of magic with them this year. They, they canceled the baseball program. This is their last season. Could you imagine winning a conference title and then get cut? Yeah. I mean, and it's a very good possibility. Like they're winning their division in the A-10 and they're going to make a strong push in the A-10 tournament. Like I, if I was to bet on this tournament, the Atlantic 10, I'm taking LaSalle 10 times out of 10. They just have a little bit of magic with them this year. Hey, how about this? In the Big East, Seton Hall and Creighton are tied. They split the regular season series. So they have no head-to-head over each other. It comes down to final win percentage. Seton Hall is on the road at UConn. And UConn is not a bad team in that conference. Um, they have they actually have the highest RPI in the conference. With UConn is at thirty six, but they're two games back of Seton Hall and Creighton. And Creighton is um, is at home against Xavier, so I'm going to give the edge to Creighton in that one to win that conference. Um, I just don't see Seton Hall winning three out of four against at UConn, and I see Creighton taking three out of four sweeping. Xavier. Ooh, that's going to be – ooh, we got to keep up with that ser- or those series this weekend because, I mean, although it's the Big East, like, there's still some really good teams in that conference. Um, and guess what? The Big East had no at-large bid. No, none. They didn't play enough games, in my opinion. Now, the Big South, Campbell and Upstate. Now, Campbell was winning the conference by a game and a half. They earned it last week, you know, taking care of business against Upstate. But Gardner-Webb is a team that's only a game and a half back as well, tied with Upstate. And so besides those three teams, everybody else in that conference sucks. They're terrible. But with this conference tournament, if Gardner-Webb can somehow win the conference tournament, like you could see three teams out of the Big South because I think Campbell and I, Upstate – I think Upstate lost their at-large. You think so? I think Upstate is out of the at-large race. I think they have to win the tournament. 47 or lose the championship game. 47 RPI is uh, pretty, pretty decent, though. It is, but this year it's going to be hard because, I mean, I think they're on the fence right now. They're on. I think they're on the outside looking in. They lost. I mean, dude, they've got to make the championship game to give them a, any hope, a breathing room. Yeah, they they do. You're right. They have to make some noise in the tournament. Um, another interesting one here: the Big West. UC Irvine got the regular season title locked up. Um. Okay, if we want to be literal, they have a four-game series this weekend. And if they lose all four and Santa Barbara wins all four, 
they tie. Actually, you know what? It is locked up. UC Irvine took the se- the season three, yeah. three out of four. So they, they have, have the tiebreaker. Yep. yep. I'll, do, I'll so give you a team in the Big Irvine. West. I'll give you a team in the Big West to really watch out for, and that's Long Beach State, dude. They're playing really, really good baseball right now, and we saw them last year before the season got cut. Oh, short. my bad, dude. I forgot. I forgot. Big West has two more weekends left. Okay. That's but like, right. I, They're I not playing see, a tournament. I don't see They're Irvine not playing a tournament. That. I would like to see Long Beach so. State make a run. I mean, they're 21 and 14 this year. They didn't start until like March 10th or 15th or something like that. But we saw Long Beach State number one in our mid-major polls last year before the season got cut short. They didn't have a fall. They didn't start playing baseball until March. And they're 21 and 14 this year. They're six games back, of course. But like Long Beach State's a very talented team. We saw them go neck and neck with Irvine earlier this season. I, I would like to see them play their way into an at-large, but they pretty much have to win the last eight games. Who, Long Beach? Yeah. They're, I, they're at 71, bro. I, I just don't see them getting in at large. They've got to win the tournament. And Irvine got Bakersfield and Fullerton the last eight games. Pretty much, I mean, you can lock it up. Irvine is your mm-hmm. big West regular season champ. But I think they don't have a tournament. So they winning don't. the regular season is your, at-large, is your automatic bid. Right. Um, so moving, Irvine moving. got the automatic bid, and and you know what thing is that gives up that bro Irvine winning the uh, uh AQ bid frees up uh, another at large spot because there'll be a thirty five they're an at large team. Santa Barbara is on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, that's that's a shame because I was hyped up on. If Santa you're Barbara. Georgia, hey, if you're upstate, if you're Georgia, if you're Alabama. You you want Irvine to win the regular season to get the AQ. Yep. Yep. Freeze up in that large spot. Uh, another another um, conference that people need. Speaking of like needing to win the regular season in the tournament, the Colonial with Northeastern. Northeastern is thirty and eight this year. Their RPI is thirty eight, and they're eighteen and two in their conference. Now UNCW. They're a really solid team this year. And other than that, like it, I think it's a two-horse race there. But Northeastern needs to win the, the regular season and the tournament to free up maybe another at-large spot. But North, Northeastern, uh, a lot of hype around those guys. Really good team, really good solid program they have there. They, uh, they're going to be a, a hell of a three-seed or four-seed in, in the regionals. We'll see. I mean, maybe. Um, Horizon League, Rice State's got that one locked up. Um, in terms of the regular season title, the at the at large bid, I mean not the at large, the their season is over. So Rice State's got it. Their tournament's coming up. Um Rice State's RPI is 28. So that's so high. If you're an at large team, you want Rice State to win the tournament. Yep. Uh the, because the, they're they're getting in as an at large. Yeah. Now, another team that could be getting in is at-large, Fairfield, who's winning the MAAC, the MAC with two A's. 100% at-large. I don't care what happened in the tournament. Give them a spot. 33-1 and one this year. They're playing the MAC tournament quarterfinals right now. They, yesterday they beat – or earlier today they beat Manhattan 2-1. to one. Now, it looks like they're losing 3 to nothing in game two. So the way that tournament's structured is it's like two or three rounds of best of three series, which is interesting. It's different. But, yeah, I think Fairfield's in no matter what. Uh, moving on, we got the MEAC. 
yeah, I think they're. I I, I, could, I haven't seen any of the MIAC play, to be honest with you. I don't know. It looks like Norfolk State, whoever wins that tournament is winning it all. Norfolk State's the favorite. But North Carolina Central, I'm pretty sure North Carolina Central has a guy that's 9-0 and on the mound this year. Uh, Mid- I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, yeah. to be honest. Mid- Mid-Atlantic, Ball State, Central Michigan, those two teams tied 23-9. Their RPIs are very similar, 50 and 75. Now, Ball State, who won the series between those two teams? Because I remember they played a couple weeks ago. They split. They split 2-2. Central Michigan, Ball State split. Oh, so they literally are tied. Yeah, I know. But they both have eight games left in conference play. No tournament. So the winner of the regular season gets the bid. I wonder what the tiebreakers are for that. (laughs) Because there's a chance they could literally be tied. Um, let's see, Missouri Valley. Now that's one of the better conferences in the country. We have Dallas Baptist leading that 16 and four. And I told you. And you know what sucks is the four game series. Is, yeah. Southern, they placed at Southern Illinois this weekend. And Southern Illinois start, has been playing much better baseball the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Southern Illinois is 36 and 16, but they started like 22 and 0 or something like that. Indiana yeah, State's oh. another team, though, that has the highest RPI. We saw them split two or split two and two against Tennessee like the first weekend of the season. But I, I mean, Dallas Baptist is finally healthy, finally got the COVID stuff out of the way. They're playing good ball. Let's hey, see. in the Mountain West, how about this? Nevada is a 31 RPI, first in the conference by two and a half games. They've got they've got most of the tiebreakers tie set. That's another team that you want them to win the AQ bid and free up an at-large because they're an at-large. Um, we have them low in our – I mean, dude, but you know what? As we keep saying all this stuff, we don't even know how much the uh, uh, the committee is going to weigh at, uh, RPI because they ignored it. They pretty much ignored it when they picked the 20 host site. Yeah, no, they did. And they ignored it in the softball committee. I know the two sports are somewhat similar, but – the committees didn't really weigh the RPI in that either. So we're talking about all these teams getting at large based on their RPI. Maybe we should just stop saying that because I have no idea what the committee is going to do. You never do. The committee is not commuter, or not computer-based. It's just opinion-based. But let's run never through know. these last conferences real quick. We got the Northeast Conference. Bryant's winning that by two and a half games over Central Connecticut. Bryant's usually in regionals, man. At least I picture them in regionals all the time. The uh, now Central Connecticut State was in that Arkansas regional a couple years ago, and they played well. Yeah, if, if I remember correctly, um, they played well for about four innings. <laughs> they did. That's literally. Right. They, it was like a couple innings. Yeah, the Ohio Valley Conference is a disaster. You got like five, or you got eight teams within five games of each other. Murray State's winning it half a game over Southeast Missouri. Uh, that 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 season or that conference always comes down to the conference tournament, and the favorite never wins ever. So, never. Um, now I know hey, the, Patriot the Patriot League. They're playing right now. I believe. I've, got, I've got it pulled up. Aren't they playing right now? Army and Lehigh. They're battling it out, best two or three or something like that, for the. I think Brian is not in the Patriot. Army and Lehigh. 
did you say Bryant? No, Army and Lehigh. Oh, Army. You can, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it cut out or something. But Army and Lehigh are playing a best two out of three for the conference championship this weekend. I don't know what day they start. I guess I can look and quit being lazy here. Wait, are you sure? They're playing for the – well, Lehigh had the three four-game lead over Navy. Or, I mean, oh, Army. Yeah, you're right. They're in the Patri- – like, last week was the semifinals for the Patriot League tournament. Army won against Lafayette, and then Lehigh – is playing Army in the finals Friday, Saturday, Sunday, best two out of three. So we're going to get our first our first regional qualifier by at least Sunday between Army and Lehigh. Yep, and the SWAC. The SWAC is playing too. Yep. Now the Southern Conference, the, it's, the tournament's different this year. Usually the Southern Conference, every team makes it, but only the top four make it this year. And it's pretty much clinched. Wofford, Mercer... Samford and Western Carolina are going to be those four teams unless Western Carolina gets swept and East Tennessee state sweeps Samford. But there's a big weekend series for the regular season championship. Mercer and Wofford are playing a three game series and the winner of that will most likely. Now I know Samford has an outside shot to sweep and I think they might win it then, but Wofford and Mercer are going to be playing at Wofford best two out of three winner that wins the regular season gets the one seed in the tournament i'm like 99 percent sure um but that's going to be a fun conference tournament and then southland conference abilene christian now abilene christian like they've been hot lately they're nine and one in their last 10 they took over the crown right now against new orleans and then corpus christi who's also there southeastern louisiana that wow! I didn't realize there was 13 teams in that conference. I'm not sure how the conference tournament works for them, but no at-large teams. It's just going to be whoever wins the tournament. And then the Sun Belt, the good old Fun Belt. Um, the Fun Belt, Sun Belt. Oh. I clicked the wrong tab. Sorry. I mean Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern, South Alabama should be at the top with off the top of my head. Do either do either one of those teams? Like get even regional like at large consideration. I don't think they do. No, no, no. All right, my um, my internet's being slow, which means uh, we have we have three conferences left. We have the Summit League, the West Coast Conference, and Western Athletic. I we could preview those if you want. I don't think our listeners are really dying to hear that. If they want to know, they can look on. I mean, the my internet, my internet's slow. You know that. Yeah, and so our, our cross-world connection between Italy and the United States is slowing down. But let's just do, before we do the Berkman interview, let's do the weekend series pick We got six series, and it's going to be Florida State at NC State, Florida at Arkansas, Stanford at Oregon, Miami at Louisville, Mercer at Wofford, and Cal Baptist at Grand Canyon. Now, that Cal Baptist Grand Canyon, that's to see who's going to win the regular season title, right? Yeah. I'm trusting you on that one because I didn't look it up, but – Let's start with that series. No, I'm telling you, in the West, in the West, in the West Coast Conference. Yeah, and let's start with that series because I have something funny. I remember whenever Cal Baptist DM'd us and said, uh, "Actually, we're called like the baseball account DM'd us and said, uh, yep, appreciate and the like, love in the mid." Cal. Yeah, we appreciate the love in the mid-major power rankings. That's awesome, but we're actually California Baptist, not Cal Baptist. And it's like, shut up! <laughs> like, 
Relax. Like, dude, I didn't have room. I didn't have room, and I didn't feel like typing it out. Sorry for offending you. Cal Baptist versus California Baptist. And for that reason alone, I'm going with Grand Canyon. Um, I've seen Grand Canyon play a couple times against, like, Arizona, I believe, once, and Texas Tech or, some, oh, or maybe Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State. That's who it was, Oklahoma State. Uh, I'm going to take Grand Canyon for no other reason besides Cal Baptist's account DMing us saying, like, hey, we're California Baptist. <laughs> I'm holding the grudge. I'm here. actually – I'm actually going with Grand Canyon as well. Um, I think they're the better team. They played a tougher schedule. They show they can compete with the best. Um, Cal Baptist had a great year. I just think Grand Canyon is a little deeper, a little more talented, and she's a little more experienced this year. So I'm going with the Antelopes. The Lopes. All right, let's go. The, let's go backwards here. So Mercer at Wofford. Big SoCon regular season finale. I mean, you know where I'm going with this. I have to go with the Mercer Bears here. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I mean, there's actually stats to back this up. Like, Mercer has the one of the top two or three offenses in the country, statistically speaking. And I watched them play. I, I was doing the ESPN Plus games this past weekend, and I did them back in March against Wofford. And Mercer won the first two games pretty easily. Now, Elliot Carney is a really good pitcher for Wofford. He shut the door on, on the second game of the doubleheader. But – just because you know Mercer's success over the last five years, I think they have one of the best lineups top to bottom in the nation. And did you just say Mercer's last five years? Try the last nice. like, seven or eight years. Well, they're, don't they're, forget when I was there. I'm the winningest class of all time. <laughs> Do not disrespect me. I don't know why I said five years. Right, let's go ten years because <laughs> Mercer's won 35 games in the last ten years. One of only four teams to do it. And you know uh, what? We thought that shit. Hey, we thought that shit was ending this year. Yeah, and they're they're at thirty four games, and he won more for that. So, I mean, all by oh my god, could you imagine Ben? Hold up, could you imagine them getting swept and ending the season at thirty four? Well, they would have a they would have two. Oh, they have the tournament. tournament. Yeah, but oh my they, god, imagine if they just go get swept this weekend and then get two in barbecue and tournament. Oh, and they five. would lose their shit. They would they would they would schedule a game after the tournament to get their thirty fifth win. <laughs> Or they would go back and just count one of the win or one of the losses as like a forfeit. But I'm taking Mercer 100, 100 times out of 100. I hate Wofford. Hey, hey. So most of most of the Mercer people are just going to see our graphic and they're going to see my pick and they're going to get really annoyed. But they're not going to hear the podcast and they're not going to hear the reason why. I'm going to pick Wofford just to piss them off because they know they're not listening to this. And if they are. <laughs> Good Still for not. you. Now you know why I'm picking Wofford. I'm just picking Wofford to get a text from Coach Shade saying, are you kidding me? Or something like that. And I'm just going to go with the Wofford Terriers just because I want to piss them off. Just to piss them off on the graphic. Okay. And I don't like to make my picks very often like that. I like – because I, I like – I care about my record. I want to pick the team that's going to win because I care about my record. Yeah, but but for lead. this game and this game only, this is the only time I'm going to do this. I'm picking Wofford just to piss people off. <laughs> okay. Um, let's go Miami, Louisville, Miami, uh, the roller coaster, Louisville disaster, dumpster fire. Who cares about this series? Both of these teams, I think are going to be in the tournament just because of their, their resumes and their team name and things like that. Louisville have been playing trash baseball, except they did win a big midweek game against upstate. I'm going to take Miami here. I think Miami is the better team across the board. I hope to see Louisville win just so that people don't question their at-large ability, but 
Remember, dude, I had I picked Louisville to win my national championship on the first episode. And they're still alive. <laughs> I mean, they look terrible, though. Hey, this is really difficult for me. This is really freaking hard for me because I love Miami. They're my squad. They're everything I care. I love Miami got me into college baseball when I was eight years old. I yeah. used to pay $5 a month for eight, And for those of you that don't know, ACC select with the streaming service way back in the day, you had to pay like it was five and then it was eight. And then it was like $12 a month. My mom's credit card was on my account and I got to watch Miami every single night. Um, but on the road at Louisville, I think Louisville's going to have some shit up their neck. McDonald is going to have those boys fired up. They hear they're going to have a crowd. They're ready to go. It's postseason time for the card. I'm going with Louisville, and this hurts, but I'm doing it. Wow. I did not see that coming. I thought we were both going to pick Miami there, but okay. Let's move on to Stanford at Oregon. Uh, I'm out on Stanford. Uh, I'm out on them. I'm up on Oregon, out on Stanford. I think Oregon's the better team offensively and pitching-wise. Now, the only thing – only reason why I would see Stanford possibly winning this series is that they're just pretty consistent. Like they have guys that aren't going to like wow you, but they, they don't make mental mistakes. They don't make errors in the field, really good, solid club defensively. But I think just talent wise and just a little bit swagger wise, I'm going with the Oregon ducks at home. I think they're going to be ready this weekend. Give me Gordon Bombay and the ducks. Yes, sir. That was good. We both agreed on that one. So that's pretty much a guaranteed Stanford winning uh, the series. Two series left. We got um, Florida State at NC State. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in like when you're hot, you stay hot. And NC State's been hot for the last two months. They started one and eight in ACC play, and I think they're actually pushing for a second place finish behind Notre Dame right now. So are. I'm gonna, they I'm gonna hot. take the Wolf Pack at home. The Pack Nine. Pack Nine. I'm going with the the Knolls. Give me Florida State. I think they're the better team. I think this is this is where you strap up your boots. You strap up your spike. This is where it starts to matter. This is where the energy starts flowing. The bang energy drinks start going down smoother. Through coffee, <laughs> whatever you drink, it goes down smoother. And you get a little more sweat. Your 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 fingers tingle. This is go time, Ben. And I don't know how, how I came up with all that, but wow, I just got myself fired up. I would agree and that they're the better team. I think Florida State. I'm is going a much Florida State. Team. I'm just saying NC State's been way too hot, so I'm gonna ride the hot horse. Last yeah, series here. Last series here before we bring it to that Lance Berkman interview. Florida at Arkansas. I've been picking against Arkansas all year long. Why stop now? Let's go Gators. Give me Florida just because two reasons. One, Florida. Well, actually, three reasons. One, Arkansas looks like they play much better on the road, even though they've been good all year long. I don't think they're going to go the regular season winning every single SEC series, and it's May. Florida Gators play much better in May and June, traditionally. And I think they go to Arkansas, and I don't think Kevin Copps is going to be used as much as he has been. And I think Florida goes out and, and pretty much dominates this series. There's just no way. Dude, Arkansas no way. Go I'm going with the I'm going with the Florida Gators. Let's go. So Arkansas has pretty much won that series already. We never win. I, pick together. So, dude, I was thinking in my head, I was like, dude, 
I can't go against Arkansas. I cannot go against Arkansas. And if I go, if I pick Arkansas and they lose, it's fine. But I really do think Florida goes into Fayetteville and wins the series. It just feels like it, right? Just based off of what we've seen all year long. Florida it really does. For these, yeah, Florida gets Sully, up for these. Sully and the boys. Right. And, I mean, I think, I think Arkansas – They're. I mean, Arkansas is no doubt the best team in the country all year. Like, they, they haven't lost – No, they're no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, no this doubt. isn't me picking Florida because they think they're better. I just think Florida has a better weekend. I think they're rolling into the postseason. They're hot. And they play good against the good team. And I think Arkansas – I mean, the dog – if I was a betting man, I would never bet someone to go through a whole SEC schedule without a series loss. Right. And I just – I know Kevin Copps isn't going to be used like he has been the last month and a half. I mean, he's bailed them out of so many series this year. I mean, hold on, hold on. Does, hold on. I should know this answer, and I just don't want to make the wrong statement, but I'm, so I'm going to back question myself here. But Arkansas, I don't think they have the SEC locked up yet. No. I mean, they have the tiebreaker over everybody, but if they get swept this weekend, I mean, and- I mean, I mean, they're they have a half game lead or a one game lead on Tennessee for the final, the overall crown. So, if they win one, I think they're fine um, because they have the tiebreaker over Tennessee. Tennessee's not sweeping South Carolina. If they do, no. wow. But if Arkansas wins one, they win the regular season title. So. Look for them to maybe win the Friday night game and then Florida wins the next two after Arkansas wins the title. That's what's going to so, happen. I, I can see I like it my pick. I love my pick even more now. Yep. I agree. I mean, once they lock up the SEC crown, like they're going to shut pretty much their whole relief staff down. They're going to let Lyle Lockhart throw seven innings for once, for once, but instead of four. But besides that, um, let's hype up this interview one more time. I mean, do you guys – Thanks for listening to the show. Dude. This is going to be one of your favorite interviews you've ever had. And, uh, one it was of your a, favorite. It's, it's good. It's a little long. It's about 45 minutes. We have a little commercial break in there, of course, with our free Zooms. But, um, no, definitely w- watch it, listen to it. We tweeted out some teaser clips that got a lot of interaction with. So you guys enjoy. And uh, we'll be back Sunday night ready to recap the regular season and preview a lot of conference tournaments. Yes, sir. Always a pleasure. Yep. All right, college baseball fans, here's the big one. Uh, We got an incredible guest here today, Uh, a little birthday present from Chris Burke, set us up with my childhood idol, Lance Berkman, one of the best college baseball players of all time. Lance, or Mr. Berkman, however you want me to call you, thank you for doing this. This is incredible. (laughs) I'll answer anything. Lance is totally fine, yeah. Yeah, and Uh, so um, a lot of people don't know this, but you just got done coaching a, a college baseball season, D3 school, a new one, uh, new baseball program, St. Thomas University or University of St. Thomas. How'd the season go? You guys have a pretty good year? Yeah, we did for, you know, for the not having a program for about 50 years, 60 years, and they restarted it. Uh, St. Thomas here in Houston was an NAIA school and the, the new president wanted to join the NCAA. And so in order to do that, you have to have so many um, sports teams, and so they added baseball to meet the requirement. And um, last year, with I mean, 2020 was supposed to be the first year back, uh, and they got to play about 15 games. But of course, because of COVID, the season got shut down. So this year was kind of their first full season. And I felt like, you know, we ended up, I think, 17 and 16 on the year. Um, we didn't have a very uh, good showing in our conference which is a really good division three conference you know you never 
you always kind of hate to say the SEC of because I'm not really an SEC guy. <laughs> but if there is an SEC of Division Three, I think it was our conference. We had, I think, uh, three of the top, I think, 15 teams in the country in our conference. So we kind of we took our lumps there. But overall, for being a first year program, essentially, and not having a home field, and there were some other challenges, uh, I think we ended up doing all right. Yeah, and so we were talking, we were kind of talking about this before the show, before we started recording. Um, people don't realize if you're not from the Houston area, but that's the only Division three school in the Houston area. And like, I had a ton of former teammates growing up that had to go out to West Texas or Louisiana or North Texas near Dallas to play Division three baseball. And like, this is going to be a program that's going to be a powerhouse, like coming up, like with the recruiting area um, all around the city of Houston. Division one guys might even start going there to get playing time. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm being serious, Dimitri, like a, a nice division three school in the city of Houston. Like that's going to become a division three powerhouse in baseball. Would you agree? Oh, I think a hundred percent. I mean, if there was, if you said that you could, you know, as a college coach, if you said you can recruit one city in the entire country and that's all you could recruit by far to me, Houston is it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the number of players here, the talent, and, and like you said, I mean, there's tons of guys that that get overlooked by Division One schools that that have that kind of talent and to have an option that is right here in, in their home city. Uh, they're going to get a, a new stadium here coming up. They're actually uh, in partnership with St. Thomas High School to build a, a joint use facility that's going to be nice. So I, 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 I anticipate them, you know, being one of the top Division Three programs in the country here in very short order. Absolutely. And so we'll get to your playing career here in a little bit, because I definitely have a ton of questions about that, especially in college. But like as far as like you getting into college coaching, like that sounds like something just reading like through old interviews and and hearing you speak sometimes like you've always wanted to coach at the college level. And like so you had to go back to school to get your degree, correct? That's right. Yeah. So when I retired in in 2013, that that next year I was, I was back in school and I tell people, it took me about 20 years to get my degree from college. (laughs) Uh, You know, don't feel bad if it's taken you five or six. Yeah. And so um, is that still like kind of the career path? Like I know you have a whole family and like maybe once they all move out of the house, like trying to coach college baseball for a long period of time or. Yeah. I, I, you know, college baseball, number one, there's, it's the funnest if that, I mean, if, I don't even know if that's right. Correct English. Here I am. You know, it's the most <laughs> fun you can have playing baseball is is when you're in college. I mean, that was I got to experience a lot of things on the field, and by far, the the most enjoyable period of my whole baseball life was the three years that I spent at Rice. I mean, and and so uh, I love college baseball for a variety of reasons, but the number one is it's just fun, and uh, you know, the second reason that I'm really attracted to the college level it's it's you know being a coach you put yourself in a position to to speak into young men's lives at a time when they are you know making decisions that are going to impact the rest of their life and it's a time where it's the first time where kids are away from their parents they're starting to establish sort of who they are as men and and who they're going to be going forward and to be in a position where you can have some influence on that and use the game of baseball to kind of teach the game of life so to speak uh is very appealing to me so those are you know that that's really why i want to to coach at the division one level and of course you know division one baseball to me that's the highest amateur level that you can that you can be at and uh so you get a combination of 
the fun of amateur baseball, but you also get an advanced skill level where you feel like you're really helping guys with their, you know, I'm not, obviously not everybody your coach is going to play pro ball, but there are going to be a few guys that you can help. And, and uh, so the physical skill capability that those, that, that those guys have, I think is, is appealing also. It's almost like you've, you've listened to our show before. Cause Dimitri and I talk about how division one baseball is like the most meaningful games you'll play as a, as a, like a, Baseball, baseball player, player until you get yeah i almost forgot baseball player there um <laughs> most meaningful games you'll play until you get to the major league level and like there's a less than one percent chance that a division one player is going to play at the major league level so like the the combination of passion and you know meaningful baseball games where like winning actually matters opposed to like the minor leagues where you're kind of out for yourself like you're kind of out to get to that major league level like team aspect isn't as heavily re- uh, relied upon so um, yeah, we, we've yeah. talked about that hundreds of times on this podcast, how Division One baseball is the best of both worlds. You got the talent level there. Games mean something. And, you know, coaching at that level would be uh, an incredible opportunity, like you said. So let me ask. Uh, so, like, we talk about all the time. You get up at 6 a.m. in the fall. You have your 25 guy. Whatever you show up with in October or August, September, that's your team all the way through May, June, and part of July if you go to Omaha. And I just think when you you have to find a way to win with those guys, you can't just go sign somebody, can't some send somebody down, call somebody no trades, trade. yeah. And and that's your squad. That is those are your brothers. And I just think some people are starting to figure that out. And I everybody I talk to, they love college baseball. They miss college baseball. They miss putting their school colors on. They miss playing with the guy who might not be most talented, but he busts his balls every day to be the best player that he can be to help whatever the team in whatever way. And I just think that's so pure in terms yeah. of the game of baseball. hundred percent. I mean, it's really no joke. It is, it is. And again, I'm just speaking from experience and, and the harsh reality of professional baseball is no matter, even at the major league level, you know, guys are, it's really 25 sort of individual franchises out there that are coming together to play for an organization. But college baseball is the last time where you're truly playing for the name on the front of the Jersey and not the name on the back. I mean, and everybody, kind of feels that and it's your family. I mean, I still, you know, <laughs> some of my best friends are from my college baseball team. We still keep in touch. I mean, and, and, the, and the bond that you experience at the college level is, is like no other. So it, it, it's great. I mean, it's a great game. And I feel like more and more people are starting to wake up to that fact. And, and the game, you know, the college game to me is getting more and more sophisticated with better facilities. You know, you, you look at some of the the TV money that's being reinvested in, in some of these, I mean, I've been to some college facilities where I was like, man, this is nicer than anything I was ever, you know, in, in the major league. So uh, it, it, it's a, just a fun atmosphere, a lot of great venues, a lot of tradition. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, it's, it's the best, it, it's the best level of baseball there is. Yeah. And so I want to bring this up that um, has been just like itching at me forever. There's like a viral picture on uh, on social media, and it's a it's a stat line of your junior year at Rice, where you had 41 home runs, like 134 RBIs, slugging percentage over a thousand. Were you just that locked in the whole year, or was the game just too easy for you? Because those well, numbers are like career numbers for some guys now. Yeah, I mean, it was that year. There, we obviously we probably had the best bats that they've ever had in, in the history of college baseball. So that was a big part of it. Just, what was it like swinging those bats? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because it, it didn't at the time. It was like, oh, yeah, these, it's it's not like we 
I mean, you still had to hit the ball of the sweet spot and all that. I, and, and it wasn't like, I mean, at that time in college, you could use, um, I guess a drop five, which is crazy, but most guys would swing, you know, a 30, like I saw, I still have my bat that I used in college and it's a 34 30, which I mean, when I was, when I went to pro ball, I swung a 34 32. So it's not like it was cr like some kind of crazy, you know, weight difference. But the biggest thing for those with those bats is just the, the size of the sweet spot was big and of course, you know, they, the, the thin walled bats have that trampoline effect a little bit. And so really, if you could hit the ball on the sweet spot, you know, you had a great chance to hit it out of the ballpark. So that, that, those numbers are, are definitely inflated because of the equipment advantage that we had that year. And then the other thing that was kind of crazy, um, rice is not a hitter's ballpark. I mean, it's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. And, and most times when, when the weather's warm, the wind blows in. So that even retards home runs <laughs> even more, but that year, the, when the wind blows out, it's a pretty good hitter's park. And that year, for whatever reason, we had an extended winter, which meant we had a North wind uh, for longer in the season than we would normally have. And so the wind was blowing out a good uh, portion of the season. So just very favorable hitting conditions, uh, good bats. I had really worked hard that whole off season and summer on my strength and conditioning, and it all just kind of came together. I mean, I just, I did, I got locked in. I remember we, and oh, the, the, here's sort of a little, a funnier anecdote, but the first, the, the at Rice, oak trees, they have these great big oak trees that, that line campus, and so they, at that time, that was our hitter's eye, our, our, you know, over the center field wall is this great big oak tree. Well, in uh, 97, there was an ice storm that happened in Houston and it killed a bunch of branches on that oak tree. And it exposed the yellow house that was right behind the center field <laughs> wall. And so the first series of the year, we played Texas state at that time at Southwest Texas state. Um, and they actually on that team had a couple of pitchers, Scott Linebrink and Jeremy Fikach that pitched in the major league. So we had, so we had, <laughs> we're facing some good pitching and they were throwing out of that yellow house and you literally could not see the ball. And I told coach Graham, I think I went two for eight or something like that, you know, two for six, maybe just not great. Just didn't feel very good. Uh, that first series. And I told coach, I was like, coach, we can't see like that yellow house. So, the next day we come to practice and he had had somebody erect a painter scaffolding uh, and they had draped a windscreen over it. And that was our, that became our hitter's eye for the rest of the year. And so uh, that was after the first two games of the season, then that next game, I think I homered twice. And after uh, 16 games, I had 15 homers. So I was like, you know, that, that, that was a big factor getting locked in is being able to see the ball and, you know, coach was, was on top of it with his painter scaffolding that he had erected out there. So good year. It was a good year. Yeah. So. <laughs> no. So um, Dimitri's on mute right now. It's just trying to talk, but it's okay. Um, I got a question for you playing for Wayne Graham. Like, was that kind of like a surreal moment or like how tough was he? Like, give us some good stories about Wayne Graham because he's a, he's definitely someone our, our followers on social media always ask about. Like, what's that guy doing? Like, um, he needs to still be in college baseball. I'm sure you got some good stories for us. Oh, yeah. Well, Coach is a legend. You know, his his record speaks for itself. 
Um, he's, I, I would not have wanted to play for anybody else. I mean, you know, he, he was so good for me personally. Um, and I always, you know, tell people they're the two bigger, the two big influencers on my career were my dad who kind of got me started playing baseball and with the fundamentals and all that. And then with, and then coach Graham, who really helped me become as tough mentally as you need to be, to be successful at the, at the pro level. So coach was, was amazing. Uh, and he wasn't always easy to play for, uh, but he's exactly what I needed and, and a great coach. And, you know, the coach was, <laughs> he, not only was he tough, but he was creative. And sometimes when he would, um, you know, when he would get on you. And I remember we had one game, uh, we were playing Baylor and uh, we had a double header my freshman year. And we were, we were playing that back in those days. And I, I think they still do this, but they, when they ever have a double header, you have a seven inning game, and then a nine inning game. So yep. it was like, a, it was like a hundred degrees and we were right on the banks of the Brazos river there. And it was like, you know, 98% humidity. It was just a miserable day. <laughs> and uh, the seven inning game took four hours to play. And the final score was 21, 18. They ended up winning. And so, uh, and I had had a pretty good game. Like I felt like I, I think I'd got three or four hits and drove in four or five runs, you know? And so, but, but the one thing that happened was my freshman year, I was, a I predominantly played left field, but we had a first baseman that would pitch as, and whenever he would go into pitch, I would come into play first base. So that's what had happened. He had gone into pitch. I came into play first and very shortly thereafter, they get a guy on first base and, uh, I'm holding the guy on and they have a left-handed hitter up. And a dude hits an absolute missile right at me, uh, kind of a ground ball, like one of those, you know, worm burner. How does it stay on the ground? I don't know. But I mean, it had some pace. <laughs> and I did everything but lay down in front of it, I felt like, to try to keep it from getting to the outfield. Well, somehow it got under my glove into the outfield. So instead of having a double play or at the, at the minimum, you know, one out made, um, they ended up with first and third. And they that was sort of what keyed their winning rally. So... Mm-hmm. We're between games of doubleheader. He brings us all down the, the right field line and we're sitting in a group and I'm sitting Indian style sort of in the front. And the thing about Coach Grant, when he got on one of his rampages, you wanted to be at the beginning. If you're on the front end of it, like he would be sort of mad and he would be yelling at you and then he would move on. But as he got going, he would get more and more worked up. And so if you were at the end of it, then you knew you were in bad trouble. So <laughs> he's getting down to the end of his rant. And of course, when you give up 21 runs, there's a lot that you can rant about. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm, I'm in the clear, you know, I didn't really, I felt like I had a good game. Didn't even really think about that one play. And so he gets kind of where he's winding down and he goes, and Mr. Berkman. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, I knew at that point I was in trouble. So then he gets like eerily calm, like almost like the psycho calm, you know, like mm-hmm. just kind of with this little smile on his face. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be really bad. And he says, Mr. Berkman, he goes, he, he said, first of all, he starts out, he goes, how many of you idiots out there have read the Scarlet Letter? And we're like, what in the world? <laughs> you know, because it was rice, there several people put their hands up, you know, we'd all read the Scarlet Letter. He goes, well, for those of you that haven't read it in the story, there's a woman and she commits adultery and the townspeople get together and they sew a big red letter A on the front of all her dresses because they want everybody to know that she's an adulteress. Well, Mr. Berkman, I'm going to petition the NCAA to see if they'll let me sew a big red letter C on the front of your jersey because you're nothing but a coward. And I mean, 
he went on from there to like excoriate me for not blocking the ground ball, you know, mm -hmm. that, and by the end of it, I was like, I had my, I was sitting Indian style. I had my head down. He was on hands and knees screaming up into my face. So he could, you know, make sure that I got the message that he was not happy with that play. So anyway, that's just one example of, of coach and his, uh, his zeal for good baseball. And I, I obviously, I learned a lot from him <laughs> and, and, you know, give him a lot of credit for, for helping me in my career. Right. And that kind of just kind of piggybacking off that story, which is incredible. Almost had me um, belly laughing over here. Um, we had a request from one of our followers on social media to ask you about um, potentially cheating on a conditioning test you had at Rice and like your plan. So uh, we talked about it before we started recording and it was a great story. So please enlighten our listeners about this conditioning plan that you had to get out of a three mile run. Yeah. So coach Graham, the other thing that he would do is like, he, he kind of had a, you know, he, he's a big reader. He reads a ton. And so consequently, like he would come up with these ideas like, okay, well this year, you know, our strength and conditioning is going to be based on, uh, you know, distance running, which for a baseball player, I always argued with him. I was like, coach, I actually calculated it. I said, coach, I'd have to hit something like 475 homers and then run them all out at the same time to equal three miles of running. Cause that was his, <laughs> you know, his conditioning test was he wanted us to run around Memorial Park in Houston here, which is three miles long. And we, and he said, you have to make it in 21 minutes or less. And so we're like, oh my gosh, you know, coming back from the summer, playing summer ball, I didn't run a step, but I knew we had this conditioning test in front of us. Um, and so my plan was, I was just gonna, you know, I was committed to not being in great shape uh, or at least not in distance running shape because seven minutes a mile or less for three miles is a pretty good clip, you know, and for, I'm, I'm a bigger guy, you know, at that time I probably was around 215 and, you know, thinking about, you know, having to haul myself around. <laughs> so <clears throat> my roommates were, and my, my personality is more laid back and like, all right, we'll figure it out. My roommates were a little bit more OCD. So they were concerned about making this test. And, and coach said, you know, you're gonna have to run this thing every other day until you make it. So you're either going to come in shape and make it the first time, or I'm going to get you in shape by making you run it every other day. So my roommates were, they had, they had run a bunch and they were ready to make it. And I knew they were going to make it. So my plan was I'm going to show up the first day, kind of jack around, and then let my roommates make the, the test. And then the next time I had to run it, I was gonna run around the corner of Memorial Park where Coach Graham couldn't see. I was gonna have one of my roommates pick me up in my truck and drive me around the, you know, all the <laughs> way around and drop me off. And I was gonna put some water on my face and make it look like I'd been running. So that was my plan. So the morning of the, the run, of course we had to meet there at like 7 a.m., which was brutal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my roommates are up at like 5.30 and they ate a good breakfast. And I slept in as late as possible, wolfed down a bowl of Rice Krispies on my way out the door. And I, I put on a royal blue shirt with royal blue shorts and shoes with no socks. And I had a royal blue bandana. So I'm running late for this thing the when I pull up in my truck and at that time I was driving a 1977 F 100 pickup truck with no AC and no radio. And uh, so I pull up to Memorial Park, the team is already on the line, like they're fixing to start. So I illegally park my truck like in a ditch on the side right where they're lined up and I jump out and I tell them, you know, hey, the blue dart, I called myself the blue dart. It's like <laughs> the blue darts here. I'm going to win this thing. I'm jacking around, you know, Coach Graham, 
uh, <clears throat> is not happy. And he's like, get on the line, Berkman, you know? And so, boom, he sends us off. And I mean, I took off not on a dead sprint, but pretty close. And I started like calling back behind me. I'll see you guys at the finish line. I'm just jacking around. So I, you know, and like we talked about before the show started, it was, it was really weird. I had never had this happen before or since, but I'm, I'm running. And I said, you know what? I feel pretty good. Like I'm, I'm going to see how long I can keep this pace. And it was, it was a blistering pace. And before you know it, I looked down and I'd run the first mile and like, you know, just under six minutes, like 550 something, which was crazy. And I was like, no way, this is nuts. And so I'm going to keep going. And I look, there's one stretch of Memorial Park where it's like a half a mile where you can see all the way down the road. And I was at the end of that thing and I turned around and looked and the first guy of the main pack had just made the corner. So I was like, I have a huge lead and I'm like at the two mile mark. And I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. Like I'm going to win it. Well, about that time, the gorilla jumped on my back and it then all of the non-conditioning sort of caught up with me. I was like, Oh my gosh. And I start breathing, like thought I was going to have a heart attack. But at this point, all I got to do is make another mile. And so I gutted it up and the, and the, there was a guy that ended up catching me kind of about probably a hundred so yards before the finish line. And we ended up finishing together uh, tied for first. And right when I, right when I crossed the finish line, coach Graham was convinced that I had cheated because he's like, you cheated Berkman <laughs> cut through the golf course. And, you know, and, but as soon as I made it across the line, I hit all fours. And I mean, when I, I puked rice Krispies all <laughs> over the track and I had to lay there, no joke. Like I laid next to the track for about an hour. Like everybody had finished, people had left. I mean, it was just me laying in the grass. And, <laughs> and so the next day at practice, Coach Graham was like, now that's the kind of heart we need on this team is, you know, when Berkman finishes this thing. <laughs> and he had no idea that I'd planned on cheating him. And it was only by, <laughs> I don't even know what you'd call it, but just a miracle of conditioning uh, that I that I had made the thing. But it, that, that was the story that those guys were referring to. Hey, by the way, I just realized I was on mute the whole time. We could see your mouth moving, and I was like, I guess he's on mute. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but that that is hilarious. But well, dude, what I was gonna say was before, but when you brought up the whole image and his stats thing, like you were flying around the bases in the video on the yeah. triple in Omaha. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> and you talked about how you were doing sprints and you were getting work in that in that that off season, and I was like, dude. Like, were you always that fast? Because you were flying around the bases in that video. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been. I think that's been an underrated aspect. Like, I played center field, you know, in the big leagues for a full season. One of the best uh, catches of all time on Talos Hill. <laughs> yeah, and, and but people, you know, I guess maybe because I tend to be a bit self-deprecating when it comes to you know, some of that stuff, but I, I do feel like I, uh, that was sort of an underrated. I know now let's not get ahead of ourselves here. I mean, I'm not like, you know, some kind of serious speed burner, but I mean, I, I could run a sub seven sixty, and uh, you know, I, I could move pretty well. And at that time I was in really good shape and, and um, you know, that was probably the, the fastest that I was. And, and what's funny about that is I, I used to beg coach Graham to let me play center field at rice. And he's like, you're not a center fielder Berkman. And so then when I, you know, I got to the big leagues and I actually did play center field, I called coach and I was like, Oh, I get, I wasn't good enough to play center field for you in college, but I can play center field in the big leagues. Coach. You know, that so was kind of a, yeah. Hard and, moment. and just like taking back that video um, for the listeners that have never seen it, we'll, we'll, we'll tweet it out later. The video as a whole, like breaking it down is hilarious because it starts with a guy 
who's wearing like a Stanford Cardinal shirt with a rice owl hat and has the big old box cell phone. And like, it's like ESPN panning to the crowd. And this guy has both teams apparel on. He's got a giant box cell phone. It looks like the size of my laptop. And he's like talking on it with big glasses. And, and it cuts to you first pitch, like just line drive dead center, loudest ping of the bat of all time. And then all of a sudden the camera like pans to you and you're like in mid stride, like around second base, just in a dead sprint. And it's like one of the classic baseball, like college baseball Alan. videos of all time. Cause it has <laughs> your stats up there, 41 home runs, 134 RBIs. And uh, I mean, it, it goes viral like, every year. When Burke called you the Puma, I was like, now this makes so much sense. Yeah. Like Puma. <laughs> Not just a nickname. <laughs> it's, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. That's One of the right. best nicknames there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, like, when did you realize, like, you were better than everybody else at baseball growing up? Like, I'm sure there was an age, at, like, maybe eight, nine, ten, where you were just, like, that much better than the next best kid. Was there, like, a time where you're like, okay, like, maybe I'll play, like, maybe I'll play in the major leagues? I mean, it's crazy because I don't feel like, I mean, yeah, I was all I was always one of the better kids for sure. Like, you know, and but but I never thought of it in those terms. Like I was always I felt like I I may and maybe, you know, I have sort of an inferiority complex, but I was always like, man, you know, oh so and so's better. And and really like growing up, and you know, like there's always that kid that develops before everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so in my little league, there was always at least one other guy that was either as good or better. And you're kind of like, you know, neck. But, but I tell, I have, I have a couple of nephews that are younger that one's a sophomore in high school and the other one's in eighth grade. And they're, you know, they're trying to, to be as good as they can be at baseball. The key is just to keep getting a little bit better. And so like, you know, at some point the guys will hit a ceiling where they don't get any better. And for me, it wasn't like, I wasn't, I don't feel like I was like a phenom where and obviously I wasn't. Cause I, the only school that recruited me out of high school was rice. I mean, they were the ones that that offered me a scholarship. And I, I should say Memphis also uh, recruited me, but those were the only two Texas, you know, didn't hear anything from them, A&M, nothing, you know, all the bigger schools. So, but it's just about getting a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. So I never, never really thought, Oh man, you know, I'm dominant. I'm going to go to the big leagues. It's just, I'm having a good year. Let's see what happens. And honestly, like until, probably three or four years in, into the major leagues. Now there were, there were periods where like, I remember the first time I saw major league pitching, I thought I can hit this. Like, I know I can hit it. And it's just a matter of getting it done. Um, but as far as like feeling comfortable, like, Oh man, you know, heck it was probably three or four years into the big leagues where I, before I felt like, okay, like I'm, I, I'm a major league player. Exactly. And uh, so we got time for one more question before a little commercial break. Cause we're rocking the free zoom as all our listeners know. Um, are you like, okay, here's a good question for you. When you go out in public, like, are you recognizable? Do people come up to you and say like, oh my God, that's Lance Berkman. Or do you kind of like fly under the radar? Like people don't really recognize you walking it's, around. Yeah, it just depends. I mean, it's getting to be less and less. I mean, I haven't played. This would be my eighth year not to play. It's, it's hard to believe, you know, kind of decades sweep by. But uh, there's a certain uh, age of person that will recognize me. Um, but it's not all the time. And, and the good thing about being a baseball player is you're not like freakishly large. I mean, I'm six one, you know, about two thirty now. Uh, so I just kind of look like average Joe, forty five year old dad type. And so, <laughs> you know, uh, some people do recognize me. Now, when you go to St. Louis, uh, they recognize you. Like it's, you know, they they're like, you know, you can't go out in public without somebody knowing. Right. Okay, that's who that is. But uh, here in town, 
it's it's like you know probably 50 50 about half the time and then you'll get the old like oh well, i you can hear somebody whispering but they're not you know they don't want to come up to you so yeah. i'll probably get recognized more than i think but nobody i haven't been stopped in public uh in a while so yeah you ever if someone whispers and you hear them do you ever just like okay you know what i'm gonna walk up to them do you ever do that i've always <laughs> wondered that yeah uh you know what I, i'm sure i have i can't remember the last time that's happened to me but uh on the other side of the commercial break i i can tell you a couple of, of, of decent stories about like you know encounters with fans so yeah we'll definitely get to that and i also want to ask you some questions about like Right. Uh, maybe some future coaching opportunities or potentially getting into a major league uh, front office because I think you're qualified for that as well as that Rice degree stands out. So what we're going to do is take a little break here. We're going to send you another email invite and then we'll wrap this thing up after that. Great. All right, we're back from the commercial break. And um, man, I, Lance, I want to talk to you about like kind of weighing two options here because I think you're – You've been on the record for over a decade now saying, like, I want to coach college baseball when I'm done playing in the majors. Like, it's something I've been working on since high school. Like, um, you went and coached four years at St. Um, let's see. Second Baptist. Second Baptist. I almost said St. Thomas. That's where yeah. Craig Biggio was. But, yeah, you won a state championship with Andy Pettit uh, at Second Baptist. Like, you've gotten into the college game. You went back and you got your degree. But, like, talking to some other of my friends that are, like, big into MLB baseball – they're like, he's a perfect fit to fit in like a MLB front office. So like weighing those two options, like either, you know, go be in the front office of a major league team or become a head coach at the division one level. Uh, you don't have to make a decision here. I'm just saying like, have you thought about both of those? And like, have you weighed your options at all? Um, because you yeah. obviously want to stay around the game of baseball for as long as possible. Yeah. And, and there are some intriguing things about, you know, being in the front office and, and sort of being at the highest level at the major leagues. But the thing where I always come back to is just, hey, I mean, the reason I want to be involved in baseball is not just to be around the game. It's to have an impact on people. And I feel like, you know, for me, the biggest impact I can have is with these young men that are in college. And I've always had a heart for guys that are in that position and just at that time of their lives, like we talked about in the first segment of the show, like that, that's what really fires me up is to be in that position of influence. And I feel like when you, you know, while it would be fun to be kind of in the back room, tweaking things and, and going through all the things that, that, that happened there, uh, you just, you just lose the, those relationships and you don't really, you're not in the trenches, which is what I really enjoy is being down, you know, in the dugout with the guys competing and, and, and trying to help them be successful. Yeah. And so like, becoming a division one baseball coach like there's some things that um like you have to be good at that a lot of people don't know one of those things throwing batting practice one of those things hitting fungo how are the how are you with the fungo stick or throwing batting practice you pretty I mean, I good say, or i would say i'm adequate i mean i'm i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm a lefty and uh so the bp just depends on the day i mean some days i can lay it right in there and some days it's kind of all over the joint but um the fungo is less of an issue i feel like i can handle a bat pretty well are you uh, lefty or righty with the fungo or do you switch righty. it around yeah i'm i'm righty because i can see it's nice because i'm left-handed thrower so i can toss the ball up left-handed and swing right-handed so i don't have to cross over you know like i don't have the the old <laughs> yeah yep. you know so um but yeah the, those you're exactly right i mean the, the, the other thing going back to your first question in this little segment I love the physicality of coaching baseball, like getting in the, you know, like being in practice, you, you feel like you've done something, you know, Putting full uniform on in the yeah, dugout, like 
like get in, go, like let's go run around and swing the bat and throw. And so you just kind of the physicality of it is is something that I enjoy also. So yeah. are you are you the guy that's gonna wear full jersey? Or are you gonna wear like a BP top in the dugout? I like the full jersey. I'm a I'm a I'm a big believer in the full jersey. Um, just Wayne because, Graham did that. He was always full jersey. <laughs> full jersey. Um, yeah, I mean, and and really, what happens is when you get into, of course, down here, it's it's hot, and mm-hmm. so it, that's the coolest option is to wear the full jersey. You know, the the BP top or whatever, even the garbage bag, it, it gets a little. They don't breathe as well. So yeah, yeah I'm I'm a big full jersey guy. Yeah, and uh, I and mean, like, I think I think I was just gonna say, I think like as a coach, this might be just me reaching here, but when you see your coach wearing a full jersey, you feel like they're part of you. And it's just a little more it's the group aspect, the team aspect. Because your coach walked on his BP top, he's just a guy there rather than really part of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that's where. So like, the best manager I ever played for was Tony Larusa, and he he never didn't have his number ten like jersey on. Like he was full uni all the time, old school, and I love that. And he, you know, Tony's like the thing that makes him so good is exactly what you're talking about. He make he feels like he's part of the team and we feel like he's part of the team and so just anything you can do even if it's a something little like that or seemingly little that communicates hey we're all in this thing together like we're we're this is you know it's not it's not me and then you guys it's like us versus the yep. other team uh i think that's that's big yeah and so one of the big things for me as far as like you like continuing your career like becoming a college baseball coach and everything um, like you're dead serious on this and like you're dead set on it. You had to go back to Rice and get your degree, spend a year. Um, was it one year or two years as like the graduate assistant? I think they called you. Um, yeah, getting your it, was degree. Actually, it was a fall. It was a fall, basically, because mm-hmm. uh, essentially that was when I took over at the high school level was after that. Like that spring is when they you know, right. got the job at Second Baptist. So I helped them out in the fall. Then that spring I was the, the head coach at Second. So Yeah, but like a lot of people don't realize this, but to become like a Division One baseball coach, like you have to have a degree, right? And yeah. preferred like master's degree, right? Well, nowadays you definitely do. I mean, back in the day, I think you, you could get hired without one based on your the community coach yeah, kind of thing. Right. But now, I mean, any kind of a legit Division One program is not won't even look at you unless you have a degree. So yeah, that was sort of a, a non-starter, and I knew that I wanted to finish for a variety of reasons, but that was the main one. It was just so to be a more attractive candidate. Yeah, and you see a lot of guys now in the game of college baseball, and we talk about it all the time on the podcast, like Troy Tulowitzki, um, you know, Matt Holiday, Tim Hudson. Like these guys are, you know, volunteer assistants because they're not quote unquote qualified yet to become a head baseball coach because a lot of them don't have degrees. They graduated after, or got drafted after three years. And um, so it's a process you've already been through um, and you've spent your time at like the high school level, won a state championship there. Uh, now you're at the division three level. Like give us like a, like a rough estimate time frame before you think like you'll potentially become a head coach somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think it could happen at any time. I feel like I've, I've kind of laid the groundwork for having you know being able to seize an opportunity if it were to present itself um you know like I said I'm just like I I kind of tried to approach my coaching like I did my playing career which is trying let let, I need to do everything that I can do within reason to get myself the best chance to be successful and so everything that I've done 
um, whether it be getting a degree, coaching in high school, when this opportunity at, at UST came up to, to be the hitting coach there, even though it's Division three, it's still college baseball experience. You know, I think that's one of the things that uh, I've kind of run up against. There, there's sort of a reticence among um, Division one athletics directors, I've found, to hire pro guys for two two reasons one they feel like that they're not because of the money that you make and you know in pro baseball they feel like well there's no incentive to really work hard uh but i think that's underestimating you know the mentality of most pro guys which is if we're going to be doing something we want to be good at it so we have sort of the yeah. motivator like i'm going to do everything i can do to be good at what i'm doing uh, and that's part of what may, makes you a good player and it, i think it would it serve you well in in the coaching atmosphere also and so that's the first thing is they don't really trust that guys are willing to work. Um, and then the second thing is like the recruiting piece of it. They don't think that guys can recruit. And so there's this, there's this disconnect between ex pro ball guys and college baseball that I think is slowly starting to dissipate a little bit as guys come in and have more success. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, so I know that there are challenges that I'm going to have to overcome in the mind of these athletics directors. So I've done everything I feel like I can do to demonstrate, Hey, I understand that this is not just about coaching baseball. There's more to the job. There's administration, there's fundraising, there's recruiting. I get all that. Uh, I'm trying to prepare myself the best way I can. Uh, I'm willing to work. So I, I feel like I've kind of laid that groundwork to this point, And it's just a matter of, of getting an opportunity. Yeah. And I think it's going to be great that you came on the podcast and obviously we're very appreciative, but we have a lot of like players, coaches, like high school kids, uh, college administrators, like that listen to this. And like, I think it's going to show them that like, you're being dead serious about this, um, you know, career path you're taking. Um, are you kind of worried about like maybe some backlash um, if you were to like, let's say five years down the road, get a head coaching job somewhere at the division one level. Do you think you're going to get some backlash from coaches who have, you know, been coaching college baseball, like as a volunteer and then maybe an assistant coach and then recruiting coordinator, trying to work their way up, spending 20 years in the game to get to a position that maybe will be viewed as, okay, he jumped straight into a position of head coaching just because of his MLB career and his name. Like, is there any kind of like worry behind that? Yeah. I mean, I, I do feel, you know, that I do feel for guys that, that have been in the, in that, profession uh and have been working hard and you know it's yeah i mean it stinks life isn't fair i i get that I, but I, I guess my counter to that would be you know in some ways i've spent the last 20 years you know for their baseball skills also um and putting in time and effort and learning the game and being around the game um so yeah i mean there's the as far as you know something it's <laughs> I think the life is not very perfect. It's yeah. Sorry, bud. <laughs> right, right. And I and and I, but I don't I don't want that to come across as callous. No, no. You know, I, have, I have a heart for guys that are in the trenches that are working hard. And hey, I mean, you know, look, I don't have the opportunity yet either. I mean, it's one of those things where I've been. I feel like I've and not. I haven't put twenty years in, but I've definitely I've put seven or eight where I've been trying to do things that that you the know, right way. Yeah, and that that kind of show that I'm trying to work my way up, high school, Division three assistant. And so while my career path might be quicker than some, uh, if it turns out that way, uh, that it's it's not like I just showed up and said, oh, here I am, hire me. Yeah, you've definitely put in the time. And so uh, the last question for me, and Dimitri might have one or two more, but you won a World Series. St. Louis Cardinals uh, had a you know clutch hit in game six or game seven that – 
the crazy series for the Texas Rangers. Now, winning a World Series or becoming a Division One head coach and winning a College World Series, which oh, one of those two is going to be more memorable for you? Uh, maybe mean more because that's a. I mean, I think this is a tough question for you. No, it definitely is. It definitely is. I, you know, the exhilaration that you, I think it would be, I think they would probably be similar in, in a lot of respects as far as, but it's just, it's, it'd be a different experience because as a player, um, it, it's the exhilaration that you feel when you kind of feel like, oh man, we climbed that mountain at the highest level. Like you, there's nobody in the world that's better than this team right now. You know, it's like, this is your world champions and, and it's hard to describe the feeling when that last out settled into the glove out there and in, in, in left field and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, you just can't believe it. Um, but to, to have, you know, if that ever happens where you get a chance to coach in college and you lead a team to the college world series title, I don't know that that might actually require more work and you know, <laughs> maybe be a bigger accomplishment just because there's so many moving parts as a player people always ask me, what's the biggest difference between playing and coaching as a player, you got to worry about one person and that's you. I mean, you got to make sure you're ready to play and you know what your job is. And you, you know, so, and you're trusting that your teammates are doing the same as a coach, you got to worry about 35 yeah. guys in college, you know, like what are they, everybody's doing and what the, all, there's so many moving parts and I got to motivate this guy and this guy needs a pat on the back and this guy needs a kick in the rear. And, and so you're constantly, so I feel like, um, that, that coaching. And when you, you know, when you climb that mountain as a coach, it's almost more work. If, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. No, I, so I, feel- I was going to say, before we get off, I know Ben, I know I wanted to ask this question, but rice, rice, where they are right now, where they were, do you think they have a chance to improve? And, and is it hard for you to watch rice baseball and say, wow, this is where we are right now. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, I think, I think one thing it shows what a great job coach Graham did and, and how hard it is to, to have success at a school like Rice and, and, it, you know, heck that he won a national championship that A&M's never done that. Baylor's never done that. <laughs> He's never done that. I mean, there's two schools in the state of Texas, which is a, maybe one of the best baseball states in the country. Uh, there's only two schools that have won a national title, Rice and Texas. So mm-hmm. the the bar is so so high for for Rice, and uh, it's tough. I mean, so yeah, they're they're definitely not in a great spot right now. I think the the landscape of college baseball has changed, and that is not to Rice's advantage. I think you know the the way that Coach Graham was able to build that program uh, was he he was able to identify several what we would say diamonds in the rough guys that were overlooked. Uh, recruiting wise, it turned out to be really good players that sort of helped build the program. And with the information that's available today in recruiting, it's like it's harder and harder to find a diamond in the rough because everybody has a dossier on every kid from the time they're eight years old. I mean, yeah. so the you know the information out there is so much that it's hard to sneak guys under the radar, so to speak. And that's, so that reminds me of Miami. Yeah. So it's like you know, had those programs that were able to do that in the past that they lose that advantage uh, because everybody knows about everybody now. So it's going to be a, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a longer road back for rice than, than a lot of people anticipate. They've got some challenges over there. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, how that, that plays out going forward, but as a former player um, and one that was kind of there at the beginning of when they starting to come on the rise, so to speak, um, 
I kind of think I, I have an understanding of the formula of what it would take. It's just a matter of implementing it. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so we'll see what happens. You know, it's, it's yeah. definitely uh, college baseball is as competitive as it's ever been. The parity I think is, is as high as it's ever been. So it's, it's going to be a real challenge to get that program back on track. Right. And like, I've probably been the toughest out of anybody like in the college baseball world about uh, you know, where rice is at right now. I've been going on rants the whole season um, but it's like, it's honestly like maybe not even like Rice's fault in, in that aspect, the more I think about it. Cause you're seeing like Cal State Fullerton just had their first losing system, uh, losing system or season in Division One history. And um, so 46 straight years or 45 straight years, the winning record. Um, and then like Long Beach State's gone, dropped way off since they were been, uh, they were dominant. Um, it's like these baseball schools first back in the 90s, early 2000s, they're kind of getting like, left behind in this arms race of football money that these teams are putting into new facilities and recruiting it and is an coaches arms race. more it's, it's a money yeah it's a, it's a money thing in college athletics that these baseball school first um they don't they can't compete in that aspect so i honestly i'm cutting rice a break right now just because like i think it is maybe more of like a money and recruiting issue and facilities issue but like i still have hope that i think you know it may be one or two bad years for rice um they'll wake up and they'll get to a position where they were uh, that's all I'm looking forward to. But um, yeah, and, and I think your point's well made. You know, the disparity between the haves and the haves nots has grown just so wide. I, and I remember, you know, when you when I was being recruited, you know, Rice didn't have a very good facility, but neither did Baylor, neither did TCU, and neither did, you know, U of H. They, although they opened a brand new place like my freshman year there, but it was just like the, it's, it's, you know, th there wasn't that big of a gap between where rice was and where some of the other bigger programs were. Uh, but now like, I mean, Oklahoma state's new facility is as nice as anything at the major league level, even nicer. I mean, Vanderbilt's facilities are off the chain. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen Mississippi state, but I heard that they're, you know, so you just, it's, I know that it's just unreal. Like you just walk into these places and you're like, who, if you're an, if you're an 18 year old kid and you're being recruited and you got a chance to play it here or here, I mean, it's just not <laughs> even, it's not even close. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it is, I don't know. It's going to be hard to, to, you know, at a school like Rice, that essentially is a mid-major, um, to, to be able to, to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, but, um, you know, we'll see it. It'll be interesting going forward. Yeah, for sure. But, um, Lance, like end of the day, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a dream come true for me. I'm not even exaggerating. Um, shout out to Chris Burke for setting this up. He's been a great friend of the program. Um, we got to get you back on sometime, maybe in the off season, talk a little bit more about maybe like your, your MLB career and hopefully you'll have other plans moving forward in college coaching by then. But, um, you know, this has been amazing. If you ever need anything from us, just let us know. And, uh, we'll probably be airing this sometime on my birthday on Friday. So it's going to awesome. be a little birthday episode. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed visiting with you guys. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I, I didn't know it. about Good luck with everything. Yeah, thanks. I didn't know about this show before, but I'm going to check it out. Like, yeah. I, you guys do a great job. So, yeah, check us out. We're uh, growing every episode. And uh, this is a time to hop in because we're about to do our postseason push and we have tons of coverage throughout the postseason. So, it's going to be a good time. Uh, but, you know, we got to get you back on sometime. It'll be a good time. Great. Thanks, fellas. Hey, appreciate it again.